Hello and welcome to another episode of the Burt's Books podcast. I It has been a while, I will admit, since uh, the last time I spoke to you, probably about six or seven weeks ago. And the truth is, I'm still reading, I'm still loving loads of books, and I'm telling you about them on Twitter and on Instagram, so do check those places out if you're missing my uh, my reviews, although they are much smaller and less rambling there. The truth is, I'm opening a bookshop, uh, which I think I may have told you about before, and it is taking up all my time, so uh, recording a podcast is... Um, I had to fall by the wayside a bit. However, a few weeks ago, before all of this madness started, I did have a chat with Harriet Tice, author of books like Blood Orange, and her new one, It Ends at Midnight. So, I thought, as today the book is out, it would be a good time for me to share that interview with you. So, uh, settle back, settle back, uh, perk up your ears, and listen to my chat with Harriet Tice. Oh, and by the way, she does use the F word a couple of times, so if you've got young ears about maybe you want to save this till later. My guest on the Burt's Books podcast is Harriet Tice, best-selling author of Blood Orange and the soon-to-be It Ends at Midnight. Harriet, welcome. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me on. Good. Yeah, very pleased to have you on. You did an episode of Shelf Life for me, I think, not last year, the year before. Um, yes, and, I did. Um, I did. It, was, it was a fun chat, so I'm really pleased to get to talk to you again. Uh, it Ends at Midnight is your third book. It comes out in April. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Well, it's um, another psychological thriller, and it... Um, starts with an impaling on a railing basically corpses dripping with blood on new year's eve um as the well new year's eve to new year's day um in edinburgh after a new year party which has gone horribly wrong and the book is essentially um it starts at the end and then we work our way up to to see who and why and what has happened to have this really quite horrific result and it's an exploration of friendship gone wrong and in it's an exploration of well I had a lot of fun writing the um the timeline that's set in 1989 to 90 which is sixth form Edinburgh um and um, there's a lot of teenage shenanigans until they go wrong as well. Um, and it's even though it's very, very dark, and I think with my trademark dislikable characters, um, I did actually have a huge amount of fun writing it. Um, I think because of the escapism of remembering those years back at school, you know, as you start to go out to the pub and you start getting off with people and it's all quite exciting. And, you know, I wrote it during the bleakness of lockdown and it was very, very good escapism to be able to, to think about all of that rather than the harsh reality of now. Um, it's got two, the two main characters are friends, Tess and Sylvie. It's narrated by Sylvie. And they are women who've been friends since they met at school at the beginning of sixth form. Um, they're now, it's now sort of 20 plus years on. Um, and they have stayed friends throughout that time. Um, but obviously through the course of that, things have, cracks have started to appear 
in the otherwise perfect facade. And it's, um, it's really in that friendship that the seeds are sown um, that turn into the, the, the horrific ending. Yeah, I mean, you said it yourself, unlikable characters. Sylvie, uh, although you do sort of feel sympathy for her, you do as well sometimes think a bit, oh, just get a grip. Um, <laughs> and, and, then, and then Tess. But then you've got Tess, who who actually makes you really then root more for Sylvia. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was it wasn't meant to be. I never do mean to. Um, but I think though that in a way, dislikable, yes, but also I mean, no one will admit to them being relatable because nobody likes to look into the the the, the darker side of themselves. Um, but, you know, essentially it's a psychological thriller. And if everybody was sweetness and light, then <laughs> yeah. I don't think that you would have much of a plot. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's going to be interesting. My agent said, after she'd read an early draft, she said, people are going to hate it. And she said it with real relish, because I think that was one of the, that was one of the good things about Blood Orange, that it got people, people got so cross. And you want to say, well, actually, you know, she wasn't real. These aren't real, but they could be. And I wonder sometimes if people's reaction to these characters is because it's holding up a mirror yeah. to aspects of themselves that they prefer to keep hidden and, and buried and they don't ever want to admit that they might have any of these dark thoughts themselves. But we all do, you know, oh, we absolutely do. You're definitely right. I mean, you, you say, yeah, yeah, they are unlikable, but they are also... Uh, we know these people we know people like this or at least who have some of these characteristics and like maybe we recognize some of them in ourselves yeah. as well uh Wick, I've, I've got to ask so when you had written that first draft were the characters as bad as they are in the final draft did they get reined back or did you push to make them even more awful I think they stayed about the same okay. I have to say it stayed about the same um the, the the interesting thing that happened was well actually I have to say if anything it was sort of um it might have been toned down a bit because the um there was a very big change between first and second draft which you might have picked up because there's a typo in the proof which I think you've got one of the earlier proofs and it was um the suggestion was made that I reverse things. And when I thought about it, actually, and I can't really say it in any more detail, I don't want to, to spoiler it, but it, it made perfect sense. And actually, I think it made it a lot more. I mean, it was really dark in the first iteration. And this, this way, I think that there is perhaps more of a feeling of justice um, in the way that it pans out, um, which I'm not sure that justice was properly served in the first version, um, which, as I say, to be fair, I was writing in lockdown. And so even though it was escapism, things were still fairly dark, weren't they? And it was yeah. sort of hard to feel overly pessimistic. Yeah, I mean, hard to feel overly optimistic or overly cheerful at that point. And, and I mean, I do wonder if, if, if some of the mood of the book was infected by that atmosphere and by that sort of rather oppressive kind of, I know that there's some bits I'm writing where she, there's, I think there's scenes where Sylvie doesn't want to leave her flat for various reasons. And 
I know as I was writing it, I was like, this is lockdown, isn't it? You're talking about lockdown and the way that time slides and all of those sorts of elisions. So even though I specifically dated this for 2019, I didn't feel able to tackle any of the complexities of the pandemic. Um, I think that the mood inevitably has crept in. So it's, yeah. Yeah, there, there we are. Um, so that, the next book's going to be a rom-com, honest, I promise. No, it's not, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a conscious decision then to say 2019 so that you didn't have to acknowledge pandemic or... I, I think it's something that I know that that I'm, I haven't personally read a single pandemic book yet. Um, I've heard brilliant things about 56 Days, the Catherine Ryan Howard book, um, and... I think it's um, Sarah Moss has written something and Sarah Hall as well. It was both of the Sarahs, which again, I've heard, you know, really good reviews. I, I haven't felt ready to read anything, let alone write about it. And, and I think it's, I mean, it's, it's for me, there's still the, I mean, I don't want to over egg it by using words like trauma because we've had a very, easy you know we've been extremely lucky and had a very easy pandemic in comparison to so many but it has still been obviously a very traumatic time and and it's hard I think to until you've actually properly processed things I don't think that you can I don't think I can be coherent about it um I mean I like the way Mark Billingham did it in Rabbit Hole because he was writing it in a I think it must have been set if even if it didn't say explicitly, it was just set in 23 or something. Um, and so masks were kind of part of the, you know, there was a sort of a bit of mention of, you know, hand sanitizing and masks, but there wasn't too much, there wasn't too much detail. And and so I I I think I well, I've actually got it anachronistically referred to because I have mentioned it. Um, there's a conversation about it with a line um, in December of 2019, which of course is actually, we didn't know anything about it at that point. Um, so I, I've, I've been slightly naughty with that, but anyway, there it is. Um, hopefully I won't get too many complaints. They'll be too busy complaining about how awful the women are um, to say, oh, that's wrong too. <laughs> Dorothy Coombson, I think, does something similar to... Um... Mark Billingham where it's sort of just in the background of her latest one I know what you've done because mm. it's it's just kind of there it's informed where the characters are at because I think it might have been set after lockdown one but before lockdown yes. two and all of that um so that's a really good one to to look yes. at and I think yes. that's the future maybe of covid books is that it's not actually the plot it's just part of the background which, which I think is the way it's sort of becoming, isn't it? That yeah. it's, it's, and you can't pretend that it isn't a consideration, but I, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to write something specifically about those, those 2020, you know, I think yeah. 2020, I'd rather just draw it there. <laughs> and actually 21 too, to be fair. So <laughs> It's not funny. It's not funny, but you sort of feel we are emerging slightly. I hope from the yeah. clouds. So fingers crossed. Um, I wanted to ask you about the how how easy you found to it, to write this because I know that with book two we talked about that one. You, you had a whole draft of a book that that yeah. went. Um, I did. Did you 
have a similar difficulty approaching this one? And did the pandemic have an effect on that? Uh, no, it's funny. This one, and I think, as I said at the beginning, because there are these, these sections set in, in Edinburgh in, and all of the good bits, I think my, what I said in my acknowledgements, which isn't, I think, included yet, um, is that all of the good bits are true and all of the bad bits have been sort of amped up for dramatic effect. Um, so, you know, so one of the worst scenes, the sort of the climax of, of the, I mean, there's another, there's a number of parties, but one of them that goes particularly wrong um, is not that, is not a real thing, but the drinking, the underage drinking, the graveyards, the sort of, all of that was, and it was brilliant fun. And so I think that because I knew all of that so well, and because it was just, you know, I was there in my head, back writing it. It, it it was just like falling off a log and I think also I've my confidence has grown I think since because Blood Orange was was reasonably straightforward to write because I did it within the MA and I didn't know anything was going to happen with it and so I had this 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 I was in a bubble for that um, and then writing writing book two was the first time I'd ever written a book under contract. It was the first time that I was writing sort of an external expectation um, where it needed to be of a, you know, a, a proper publishable standard. And I just kept thinking people are gonna read this and it was, it made me freeze. And I think that's why the, the book that was, the, the, the draft I threw away was, that's why it went so wrong just because I was so hyper self-conscious. And then I was also hyper self-conscious writing lies. I mean, less so, but I did find that very, very difficult because it felt as if it was, I mean, I, I sort of felt if I couldn't do that, then there would never be any moving forward. Um, and, you know, statistically, I'd done an event with the author Adam Hamdi, and he had said that statistically, it's a huge, you know, the number of people who write one book, to the number of people who write two books is like there's a massive drop in you know guessing that difficult second book out of the way is is hard um so having achieved that and it it you know that I think I'm always going to look on it slightly askance just because it was so hard to do but you know I'm proud of it and I finished it and and it did well um it, it it's given me confidence you know it's given me confidence and quite honestly as I wrote Midnight because I wrote Lies one of the things also that that had really bothered me were the amount of criticisms that were made of Alison's character in Blood Orange and how unlikable etc 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 and so I I had got very very hunted about oh, I've got to make people likable I've got to do this stuff and the other by the time it came to Midnight I thought you know what fuck that I don't give a fuck anymore. I am going to write what I want to write. And if, you know, if it doesn't land, my agent will tell me, my publishers will tell me, they, they, but I'm not going to write worrying about what people think. In the sense that, of course, you want to write something that's as good as you can make it. And you want to make it a, shall we say, a satisfying reading experience because people are, you know, carried along, they want to keep turning the pages, that they're, they're, they're invested, even if they're invested with dislike, um, you know, that, that they want to see what happens by the end. Um, but 
this this second guessing and this sort of looking over my shoulder worrying that didn't do the writing any favors you know I think I think that you have to just you have to do the thing that's true um and this this is true you know and I mean it says I have a very dark soul I think and you know what that's fine have you read Liz Nugent's books I mean Liz Nugent's books are dark as dark but yet she's lovely she's so nice so you know I mean <laughs> there we go maybe that's just what she presents to the world <laughs> uh, I so we've already said that at the beginning it starts with an impaling there's somebody on these railings and we don't know who and we're sort of slowly led to believe who it might be work out who it who who the pool of people it could be are mm -hmm. and then it slowly starts to get there as as we as we get to the end of the book when you were writing it did you know who was impaled or were you changing your mind I know you said you reversed it a few times I was changing my mind the whole time it was really funny it was I I I knew how it was I mean it was the same with Blood Orange I knew how it ended but I didn't know who it ended to <laughs> um and and even that that I wasn't even sure how many um which is quite nice you know because you have this sort of framework but it isn't you're not ruled by the framework because it means that you can then give the characters room to develop and to and to to play out in their own way because you know they do have I mean I know it's my subconscious and I've just got to know them but they do have a mind of their own and they do like to sort of go off and do things their own way um and so I think that it's 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 more interesting for me at least to do it that way um and also because there is an ambiguity you know I think I I, I quite like ambiguity I think ambiguity can be quite interesting because things could be you know it could so easily work out one way or the other um and you're maybe not quite sure and I for me I quite like that that's something I find quite an interesting way of doing things I don't always like to know all the answers um, because then it gives it's like not giving too much description of people's faces because then it gives you room to imagine them yourself I mean Ian Rankin I think always he never gives much description of Rebus but yet we can all picture Rebus you know and 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 and, and if you see a Rebus on telly you know there's the wrong Rebus and then there's the right Rebus and you know from from a very very sort of sketched in thing it's 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 so no I didn't I didn't fully and I do now and I am I am I am convinced that they're the people who should be dead so I'm happy with it yes <laughs> well we won't say then anymore we'll let people discover it and find out and who they think and then find out if they think it's the right person or not <laughs> as they get to the end uh, let's talk instead about what you've been reading is there anything that you've been reading lately that you'd recommend um, I have just read, now I'm going to be unfair because I'm going to be talking about pre-order situations here, um, but there are two proofs I've read. Um, the one I've read most recently was Louise Hare's Miss Arledge Regrets. Um, now she is the author of This Lovely City that was out last year. Um, and I thought Miss Arledge Regrets has been a fantastic, not follow on, but a second, she, you know, her difficult second book, um, which I don't think has been that difficult at all. <laughs> and it's a murder mystery set on a transatlantic crossing um, in the 30s. And it's 
lots of jazz and sexy people and drinking and it's great I really enjoyed that so I'd recommend people pre-order that um, and for through contemporary crime I was going to say psychological but I wouldn't it's also psychological crime but for just pure crime um Gillian McAllister's wrong time wrong place is brilliant it is absolutely brilliant um it's uh it opens with the stabbing of a, a woman watching her 17 year old son stab someone to death and then it goes backwards in time because she keeps waking up earlier and earlier in in the chronology of her life um sort of like a reverse groundhog to try to get to the point of of working out what to do about all of this um and it's just done really well it's done really really well and I thought it was superb I really enjoyed it so I would very very strongly recommend that as well both of those are high on my list to read. I've got a copy of Miss Arlie's Regrets already and I keep coveting uh, Wrong Time, Wrong Place anytime I see one. So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, glad that, I'm glad that you've read them and I'm glad that they're good. So. Very much so. No, very, very good indeed. Uh, so what is next for you? You've already said, you've already hinted that there's going to be a rom-com in book four. <laughs> I think it's really unlikely. I think <laughs> it's really unlikely, but um, I am thinking a little bit sexy gamekeeper um, because, so, I mean, all three books and the thing I haven't mentioned yet about Midnight is that it also does contain a legal storyline, yeah. um, which is the thing that I have done for all three books. Um, I have run out of law because I only did it for 10 years. So I have not got any, there is no more left to give without retreading old ground. And I don't want to do that. So it is going to be a complete departure um, set up in the Highlands of Scotland with a distillery and a dismembered body in whiskey casks and... Mm. Uh, sexy gamekeeper and lots of intergenerational trauma and I think that it's going to be quite fun um, I'm feeling very I've been doing a lot of planning actually which is not usual for me I think because I have been writing what I knew before yeah. because you know I know the whole sort of law world and the territory and the geography and so this even though it's past the world I do know I've had to do and I've had to do a lot more research about how whiskey is made and all that kind of thing. Um, and so I keep, I do worry slightly I'm doing all this research and not actually getting on with it. But at the same time, it's the sort of world building. And I think that it's going to be, I think it's going to be quite fun. And I'm really going to try this time to have a likable character because I want to see if I, and not because of what other people think. Um, just because I'm sort of interested to see if it's something I can do, because I'm not sure I can, you know, I think it might all go horribly wrong, but I'm going to give it a go. Uh, I had a chat with Patrick Gale recently and he said he, re he, he has an idea and it will be in his head for a year or so before he starts writing it and then it will come down. So I don't think you're avoiding it by planning, <laughs> I think. I mean, I am thinking about it a huge amount. It is yeah. just sort of... 
and I keep building on notes and I've started using um, a note taking app that works across devices so that I can put all the photos and I'm sort of creating this sort of almost like an online cork board, a virtual cork board of everything. Um, and it, it feels very alive, actually. It feels, and, and I've, we've, my, <laughs> I said to my husband, I've organized this lovely trip for our wedding anniversary. And he's like, oh yeah. And I said, right, we're going up to this place and we're visiting this distillery and we're gonna go <laughs> and do this, that and the other. Um, but it'll be nice. I mean, it'll be lovely. And I'm, I'm looking forward to going back up north again anyway, so. Yeah. Uh, your, main, your main character in this one, not a lawyer, is the main character the gamekeeper or is there another? No, the main characters at the moment, because I'm just working out who the narrators are going to be. Um, at the moment, one narrator is going to be a somewhat grumpy 16 year old girl um, who doesn't want to be dragged up to the Highlands to watch her big brother open a distillery. And then another narrator is going to be a young woman and it will be in the 80s and her sort of views of just getting married and what that's like. And then there'll be a mystery person <laughs> in a mystery situation of jeopardy. Um, but that's as much as I want to say right now, because that's as far as I've got, quite honestly. Um, the working title is The House of Douglas, but I'm not sure that it'll end up being, you know, it, we'll, we'll have to see. They might want something a little bit snappier, but I quite like that. It works for me. Well, I'll push you no more on it then. Uh, but when do you think, so this one's coming out in April. Are we, yes. thinking, are we thinking 2023 for The House of Douglas? All being well, all being well, but for, I think, should be in the summer of sometime around August, the glorious 12th, because um, there's going to be a bit of that kind of game shooting as well, not by anyone nice. <laughs> um, and that will be, um, so I think August, August of 24 feels right for me, but obviously other people may have other views. So, um, but yes, that, that depends if I can get it written. Um, obviously, there's always that uncertainty. But um, no, it's feeling, um, it's, it's nice sort of having got, having got one and two out of the way and then just sort of moving. You know, I'm, I'm pleased with Midnight. I'm happy with this. I think that it's, it's, it's done what I wanted it to do. And I mean, what that says about me, that that's what I wanted, I don't know and I don't care. But it's... Um, but it's um, yeah, it, it gets... Well, I don't know if it gets easier. Right now it feels as if it's got easier. But then you hear people say they've got to book seven and it's still hell. So, you know, I'm not going to count any chickens, but I'm enjoying the planning. At the moment, it's sort of Schrodinger's book four because it's neither real nor not real and so we can just say it's brilliant and it's going to be brilliant and that's it because I've not even started yet don't tell my editor that <laughs> well I'll cut that bit out um, but I'm already <laughs> looking forward to it I'm already <laughs> looking forward to it and uh thank you Harriet for joining me you're welcome thank you very much for having me on that was the lovely Harriet Tice, author of books such as Blood Orange and uh, her latest one, It Ends at Midnight, which is available to order right now. So if you haven't got yourself a copy, visit birtsbooks.co.uk and you can get yourself one. And it really is an excellent book, worth, uh, worth picking up, I would say. 
I was about to say join me again next time, but I don't know when next time is going to be. We're a couple of weeks away from the bookshop opening. There is a huge amount to do. I'm going to buckle down this weekend. It's a long bank holiday weekend, so I'm going to buckle down and get on with it. But if you do want to get in contact with me, you know where I am. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, at Books, or you can email me at Uh Whenever next time is, I will speak to you then. Keep reading.